Amen. Let's look at the word of God. Ephesians 2. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the, cor- the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together in Christ. By grace you are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I remember reading about, uh, well, well, I can't remember his name, but he's well known when I was reading it, an anthropologist. And he said that there's an innate desire in humankind to worship something. And he said, if you take two children, two babies, put them on an island, and go back 20 years later, they'll both be worshiping something. Now I feel there's an innate need in mankind to get close to God. And if you look throughout the world at the moment, there are many people, and there's that desire in them to get closer to God. Unfortunately, some of them are worshiping false gods, but there's that desire to get near to God. And they do many things. There are people crawl up steps on their hands and knees thinking that it'll bring them closer to God. There's people walk up this large hill, I don't know the name of it, during Lent, and they don't wear socks or shoes, and this is all rocky, and their feet get badly cut. And their desire is just to get closer to God, to earn favor with God. And it's sad to see that, especially when you read the Word of God and what the Word of God tells us. You know, God's servant was saying that our conversation in times past was full of lusts and things and desires of the flesh. We were by nature the children of wrath. And so he recognizes and we recognize, and I think mankind even recognizes that there's something separates them from, we say, from the Lord. They would say from their deity, whoever they worship. In any religion you, you read about, again, there's this desire that they have to do something to earn their salvation. I remember I studied Islam for a while and they even don't know, they're not assured, they even don't know if uh, Muhammad is in heaven or paradise. And that's why when they pray, they always add on to the end and mercy or blessing be upon the prophet. And so there's this desire. But you know, the glorious truth which we have this morning from the Word of God, and we believe the Word of God. We believe all the Word of God. I quote him all the time, Charles Kingsley. He says, believe what you can, believe the Word of God, believe what you can, believe by reason, what you cannot believe by reason, believe by faith. And we believe today that the Bible is the Word of God. We believe today that the Bible teaches us and should encourage us that we are saved by grace alone. We are saved by grace alone. And what that means is salvation from start to finish is the work of God and God alone. Our salvation was God's work. 
God called you to this place. God brought you to that individual who spoke to you about the Lord Jesus Christ. God brought you into that organization which brought you to the church, which brought you to the saving knowledge of the Lord. And there's nothing that we can do we would add to that, as we'll see in a moment, or take away from it. Man can add nothing to our salvation, but he cannot do anything to take away from our salvation. I remember once I was in the Royal, and we were looking after me and another guy, this individual who was injured. And we were in a secure ward, and he was a Catholic, and we were talking about Lent, and he was telling me what he was doing for Lent, and I very politely and arguably was talking about salvation by grace, but this nurse came in and sat down on the chair that he would have been sitting in only he got up to open the door. And the foul mouth was unbelievable. And put it very, very, she couldn't wait till her five days or a week was up till she had a fag. And you know, I thought to myself, and he looked at me and smiled, he knew rightly what we were talking about. Now it's just genuine and that's what she's been taught. I'm not mocking her her in any way, shape or form. But there's people giving up this, giving up that. And that's honorable if you're doing it for the right reasons. But the fact is from the word of God, it won't do anything to your salvation. It won't win you any more favor with God than anyone else. And it's good to bless God, it's good to serve God, it's good to obey the word of God, it's good to, if you can, follow the commandments of God to the best of your ability. But it's only effective when you realize that you are saved by grace and grace alone. Our salvation today is not something that we, <clears throat> that we earned. It's not something that our grandparents earned. We, we, we are not living in the blessings or the merits of, of our grandparents. I think this church is a great history. Way back to Davin Parade and uh, when I studied back, way back to Glen Allen Street where it all first started. But you know something, we're, not, we're living of the, the, their blessings, certainly. But because they were good, it doesn't mean that we are saved. It's an individual thing, and it is a gift from God to each and every one of, them, every one of us. Again, speaking to Titus, God's servant said, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but rather, he talks in Romans 4, verse 5, which tells us, this gift is freely given upon him that worketh not. Him that worketh not. Now this isn't Paul uh, encouraging laziness in the house of the Lord. We all need to be busy doing something for God. We all have a ministry, each and every one of us. But what he's, he's not talking about laziness, but what he's talking about the works is dependence on works for our salvation. He believes in the grace which is freely given to each and every one of us, to those of us who believe today. And it's such a wonderful thing and I say it quite often too when I'm speaking to people. Thank God on judgment day I'll stand before Jesus and not men. Amen, because he is the righteous judge. And by his grace I have been saved. It amazes me when you, you, you meet people who've never been to church, who don't read the word of God and you might say something or do something which they don't like and all of a sudden they can tell you whether you're a Christian or not. It fascinates, that. It fascinates me that, so it does but they don't understand that we are saved by grace. I'm not saved this morning because I'm a good person. Quite the opposite. I'm saved because I'm a sinner whom God reached down and brought into his kingdom. 
You see, the thinking today in the world is if you're a good enough person, if you work hard enough, if you give hard enough, if you go to church enough, then you are saved. And I've known people, my mother believed this, if you're a good person, God loves you, and she would have always said that. But you know something? God does love you, whether you're good or bad. But your salvation is a gift from him and from him alone. It's been declared in the Bible clearly that self-righteous works will never be enough. What could we do, think of it, to earn our salvation? What could man repay to God which would merit our salvation? Nothing, nothing. You see, a belief that salvation is a reward for good deeds, it is unscriptural, folks. It is unscriptural and it is untrue. And that means it's plain, plainly and simply laid out for us in, in 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. Who hath saved us and called us with a holy, holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. This morning, we're being told that it's God who hath saved us. What an honor this morning. We talked, uh, I spoke about the honor of being able to come to the table this morning. And you know, it is an honor because we don't deserve to be here. But you can be here because God hath saved you. And never let anyone discourage you by telling you you're not walking right before God or you're not doing this before God. You just remind yourself I've been saved by the grace of God. And that should bless us. You see, the thing is, church, about salvation, the work is done. The work is done by God. It's completed, it's finished, it's ready, it's sufficient, and there for men to receive. The one and only sacrifice. Futurists tell us that the uh, third temple will be built and sacrifices will resume. And it saddens me that some well-known television evangelists are not only encouraging this, but raising funds for this. Church, we don't need the third temple because we are the temple of God. That's what Jesus is building. We don't need further sacrifices to be carried out in that temple in Jerusalem. And by the way, we can look at it again sometime if you wish it's in the wrong place where they say the temple was. But we don't need animal sacrifices anymore. In fact, it's an insult to God because what you're saying this morning, if you believe the futurist point of view and there will be sacrifices in Jerusalem, then you're saying your sacrifice on the cross was not sufficient. Your sacrifice on the cross, think of what Jesus done. And you're saying, not good enough. Well, I want to tell you something that is good enough. Because we are saved once and for all by the precious blood of the spotless Lamb of God, the propitiation of the Lamb, the only one who could die to take away our sins. Our salvation this morning, your salvation this morning, please listen to me, is finalized, it's done, completed. And it's there for us to receive. Jonah even declared this, where our salvation comes from. <coughs> he said, salvation, Jonah 2 and 9, is of the Lord. 
Salvation is of the Lord. And the verse, every one of us knows so well. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But listen to this, have everlasting life. That's a guarantee. That's a guarantee. It's not an insight into the immortality of the soul, which some try to tell us. It's a guarantee that we will have eternal life when Christ returns and the dead in Christ rise and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet together in the earth. We will have it. We don't need more sacrifices to be done. We don't need new temples to be built. God says, I am building my church. Who is his church? Us, the body of Christ. Fitly framed together to form a holy habitation for why? Wherein he may dwell. He dwells in us this morning. Not made with human hands. But by his spirit he dwells in each and every one of us. Again, Paul speaking to Timothy said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus come into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. To save sinners of whom I am chief. Said this before about Paul. Paul lived religiously. Every dot was put on, every T was crossed in the law as far as Paul was concerned. But he couldn't find peace in his heart because he knew that he was a sinner. He knew that these sacrifices, they were temporary, they weren't giving him that release in his heart that he was right with God. But it was only on that Damascus road when he was put down on his knees and blinded. And then when Ananias took him in and spoke to him about the Lord Jesus Christ, what a release it must have been for him. And what a release it is for any one of us this morning to know that our salvation is assured. Oh, yes, it's right to go to church. Yes, it's right to live as godly and goodly a life as you can. That's what's expected of us. But you know something? Jesus loved you when you were a sinner and he loves you even more now. Yes, you'll fall. There's not one person in this room has made more mistakes than I've made in my life. But you know something? Christ picks you up again. He picks you up on the Jericho Road and he puts you back. He pours in the oil and the wine. The joy that satisfies our soul. You see, Paul talking about this, uh, uh, being a sinner, it's a personal reference. It's an acknowledgement that he needed a savior. And sadly in the world today, and I've met many people that have no knowledge that they need a savior. They're happy going to church and they're happy working hard in their churches. I told you about Alfie, the wee man down in uh, the nursing home, down with Tilly's there. In a particular church all his life, christened, I was going to say circumcised there, it's not circumcised, confirmed, confirmed, <laughs> lucky I took a break there before I said <laughs> confirmed, met his wife, married her, had their children, all christened, in, sort of in his 80s, well in his 80s, and he asked me could I talk to him, and, we, and I prayed and led him to the Lord, and he told me, all them years in that particular church, no one ever told him he needed to be saved. sad church and it's a challenge church because you know these people are see to be honest with you I find them harder to reach than the unsaved because they're settled in their ways they're being told that they're okay 
They're being told that when they die, they're going to heaven. And they're happy with that. Go every Sunday, give, pray, very commendable. But they need a savior. They need to be saved. God perfects a salvation in the heart of the sinner when they are saved by grace. That beautiful chapter, Romans 8. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption wherein we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit of self-birth witness with our spirits. Listen, church, that we are the children of God. We are the children of God. We are saved. We are the children of God. That day, that hour, that minute that you either were on your knees, sitting in the chair, lying flat on your face, you ask God for forgiveness, you receive forgiveness. And that forgiveness was not withheld. And again, I will, will have to, because I've been asked about this and I will deal with it. It doesn't matter what my grandparents did. It did not affect my salvation. Churches you can go to and they'll pray that God will lift the generational curse. Well, I would say to them, the blood of Christ covers all sin. Amen? And I'm not judged in my, I can give you scriptures, but we're not going to it now. I'm not judged in what my forefathers did. I'm judged in the fact that Jesus called me and I'm judged in the fact that I called upon him for forgiveness. And I am saved. I am saved. I am a child of the living God. Man's efforts are excluded altogether. Nothing can hinder you when you come to the throne of grace and say, Lord, forgive me. There's different prayers and different books you can buy with prayers in them that you can pray, but you know something? All you need to do is, God, forgive me. Come into my life. That's as simple as it is. In that moment, that second, you are granted eternal life. You are granted eternal life. God acquired our salvation. Already quoted Paul talking about being the chief of sinners. Where he says, of whom I am chief. And then he says in Romans 8, 15, 16, that we are the children of God. What an honor today to be a child of the living God. And you know something, church, there's not many things we can be sure of today. Not many things we can be sure of. Man can make us promises. I can make you promises, let's put it like that. And uh, you can be sure I'll try my hardest, but you can't be guaranteed that it's gonna come out the way you want it. But one thing is certain today, above all things on this planet, is God has saved us. Jesus has saved you from your sins. And as I said, many Christians today are unsure of their salvation. They have this hope they are saved. But they're not just quite sure. I've been at the bed of those terminally ill, those dying, and that's a question I've been asked. Pastor, am I saved? It was such a revelation when uh, I spoke to one of you's family, Bobby Clulo. And Bobby asked me that several times. And I quoted him. A hymn. And I remember going up to the Ulster Hospital one day. God loved Bobby. He couldn't sing a note. He couldn't hold a tone or anything. And at the top of his voice, he was singing, who is a pardoning God like thee? 
the revelation of his salvation, God opened his eyes and he seen he was saved. And I remember a man across the way said to me, he wished he had that. He said, that man over there is dying. I'm lying here. I don't know if it was a sore leg or something. What a, what a testimony. God has saved us. We can be sure of our salvation. We don't need to hold on to a religious upbringing or a worldview of living a religious life or salvation by works. Works, uh, salvation produces works. Works don't produce salvation. You know, an architect is someone who plans and prepares and provides that which is necessary for the works of a building. And God is the architect of our salvation today. From start to finish, it is God and God alone. Again, 2 Timothy 1 and 9. Saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. We cannot contribute to our salvation today. If it was the purpose of God that we were saved before we even knew it, then how can we add to it or take away from it? Acts 16.31 tells us that we are saved, quite simply, when? When we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This plan, this purpose of God this morning means that we are saved this morning. According to he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The only way we can be without blame before him in love is that we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. You cannot come into the presence of God and say, Lord, I pray a whole lot. Lord, I tithe. I give extra alms, which only you know when it's commendable. But you know something? It doesn't gain your presence into the holy of holies, the throne of grace. He saved us while we were sinners. Never allow yourself to think that the Lord saved you because of you were a good person. Or your ancestors were good people. You know the Jews, they believed that they lived off the merits of Abraham. Abraham was so righteous before God that all his generation, all his seed would be saved, would be the children of God. And this is the problem the Jews had with the New Testament church when they were told they're not. They need to be saved. <clears throat> See, the gospel's very simple. We have translated the gospel to teach that God loves you, which is right. But sadly, we, people are being told today, God understands. You just live as you like. You just do what you like because you're a really nice person. But you know something? What the Bible teaches is that you are lost. You are guilty. You're condemned before God. You deserve nothing from God but God's displeasure. Jesus spoke about our righteousness as being filthy rags. And the only right we have is to be cast into a lost eternity. But God in his mercy this morning, listen to me folks, God has bestowed upon you his salvation. His salvation. He has saved you. He has made you his own. Again, not because you deserve it, but because he loved you and died for you on the cross at Calvary. Through his own sacrifice on your behalf, what Jesus has done, he's opened up a new and a living way into the very holy 
of holies, the very presence of God. We don't need a priest on our behalf to go in once a year and give the yearly sacrifice and then come out and tell the nation their sins are forgiven. We can enter because our high priest, the great high priest, has paid our debt and we can come into God's very presence. What an honor we have. I quote that old Scottish proverb, God is better to the worst of us than the best of us deserve. And so we are saved from the power of sin. We are saved from the penalty of sin and we're saved from the very presence of sin. Our justification, our sanctification, our glorification, our all-purpose procured and perfected by God in his mercy. Romans 8, 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. God is our, the architect, the bestower of salvation upon mankind. And why did he save us? Because it was according to his purpose, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then wonderful words. You keep hearing people saying, I found Jesus and I chose Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said. You have not chosen me. I have chosen you. I have chosen you. What an honor where he says, I have chosen you. What a privilege to hear God say, I have chosen you. There's people in the world will condemn you. There's people in the world that be, well, I'll use myself so that no one gets offended. You'll meet people who, oh, Alan Stevens. <sighs> yeah, let me tell you about him. But you know something? God chose me. Amen? No matter what we were or where we were, he brought us into his kingdom, cleansed us, and set us free. Why? According to his grace. The whole plan from start to finish is God's love towards mankind. This gift of salvation was because he loved us. What did he save us from? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And God's servant said, thanks be unto God for this unspeakable gift. This unspeakable gift. <clears throat> So we do say this morning, how can we do anything to alter or change our salvation? We can't. You know, the opening and closing words of 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 teach us that we can do nothing and it's pointless. Why? Because God has saved us before the world began. His plan, his purpose for you and for me was salvation. His plan and his purpose for you and me was that we might spend eternity with him. And you know the wonderful thing about the Lord Jesus Christ, he not only saves you, church, he keeps you. He not only saves you, he strengthens you. He not only saves you, he mourns with you. He pours in the oil of joy for our mourning. He not only saves us, he heals us. And the wonderful thing is this morning, all we have to do is praise him. To be in his presence is to praise his wonderful name. To give him the glory. You know this morning, church, if we just forget about where we're going for our lunch or who we're going to, forget about what's coming in the morning, 
and just worship the Lord, the presence of the Lord will fall, won't it? The presence of the Lord will fall upon each and every one of us. And so let's just take a moment, church, to understand. Can I swap mics there, Cameron? Let's just take a moment to understand the love of God this morning, the plan of God for your life. Yes, he's going to prosper us. He's going to bless us. But you know something? He'll strengthen us in our weakness. You know, just feel God's presence right here this morning. There's a little hymn. It's been on my heart all week. I sang it actually in the nursing home. It was beautiful. Not because I sang it. It's because it's a beautiful hymn. Be still for the presence of the Lord. The Holy One is here. Come by before him now with reverence and fear. In him no sin is found. But we stand on holy ground. Be still, for the presence of the Lord is here. Church, can we just take a few moments to worship the Lord? Well, let's stand in his presence. <clears throat> let's worship him this morning.